Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 179 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Sunday night into Monday. We've got ourselves a little bit of a routine going here at the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I am here to recap week two of the college football season. I was actually going to invite Nick Coffey on to chat with me, but ironically, he was actually at that uh, Louisville Fantasy Camp this week, the one that Chris Mack came on to discuss on this show about three or four weeks ago. So no Nick Coffee for another week. It is your boy A.T. Solo, but I don't think you care. You guys love me. Let's be honest. Who doesn't love me? I'm America's sweetheart. So great show coming up today. Of course, if you've missed the last couple weeks, I am back. I was in Hawaii for a little while. I am officially back. Two episodes a week. Last week, we recapped week one. Uh, on Monday, and then we looked ahead to week two. Of course, Jacob Hester, former LSU Tiger, Sirius XM Radio, he came on and joined me last week. If you missed that show, it was a fantastic episode. Um, and he basically, by the way, predicted exactly how that LSU-Texas game would go. He was very uh, concerned or he thought that the Texas run game would be something that would give them problems and would be a place that LSU could potentially exploit them. He talked about the spread offense that LSU has uh, implemented. Jacob Hester looking really good today. So Jacob Hester joined me on Thursday. If you missed it, go back and listen to this episode. I will, on this episode, recap week two of the college football season. Of course, you guys know what the big stories are, but they are worth rehashing here. Um, and we'll get into all of them. LSU, as I just mentioned, they beat Texas in Austin. And I'm telling you right now, LSU looks like a legitimate team that can compete for the national championship. And I don't say that lightly, because I think when you talk about teams that can actually win the national championship, you're talking Clemson, Bama, maybe Ohio State, maybe Georgia, maybe Oklahoma. And I think now LSU's in that conversation after that win. I like not only how, not only that they won, but how they won. So we'll talk a lot about that LSU game. We'll, of course, talk Clemson A&M. When I look at that one, I think a, a few things. One, I was actually really impressed with Clemson's defense. Of course, they lost so many guys on that side of the ball last year. I did wonder if that defense would be as good in 2019 and guess what? They might be, well, I don't want to say they're going to be better, but they're certainly, uh, uh, they haven't missed a beat is what I'm saying. They, they crushed Texas A&M, so we'll get into that. Michigan, again, looks terrible. They probably should have lost to Army. 
I have the secret sauce as to why they're struggling, and I don't think it gets better for Michigan, so I'll get into that. I will, of course, talk Tennessee, uh, America's favorite punching bag. Every time you think that they can't go lower, they somehow, some way do. You thought it couldn't get worse than Georgia State, people and it somehow got worse. We'll get into them. Of course, a little bit of a down news uh, element. Terry Wilson, the starting quarterback at Kentucky, is out for the season. Kentucky, a team that I was actually impressed with for about a game and a half prior to him going down. We'll talk about the impact of that, and we'll wrap with a few other kind of rapid-fire things. USC looked really good late. Um, Arkansas looks absolutely abysmal. Maybe even shout out the Maryland Terps who put, who put the, the hurting on Syracuse football. So a lot to get into today. I appreciate you guys joining me. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please, 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 make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on any podcast platform that you use. Do it on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts if you have a if you have an uh, Apple product, if you have an Android, you can use the Podcast Addict app, which is what I use. You can use TuneIn Radio. You can use Spotify if that's where you listen to your podcast. Also, please make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. It really does help us along this journey here as we uh, you know, move up the iTunes charts. It, it sounds corny, but the, the rating and reviews really do help, such as the one that Casey Matthews 1 dropped a few days ago. He said, must listen, five stars. If you aren't listening to this podcast, do you even like sports? So I actually misread that. He said, if you aren't listening to this podcast, do you even like sports? Now does that, first, I don't know if that sounds like Casey Matthews, but if it does, shout out to Casey Matthews. If you aren't listening to this podcast, do you even like sports? Do yourself a favor, give it a try. You will not be disappointed. Casey, shout out to you. Thank you for the kind words. Please make sure to rate and review the show, everybody else. Give us a quick five stars. It's like Uber. Even if the experience isn't all that good, you still give the five stars. It's good karma, good juju. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page. The Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page is popping lately, people. Uh, that's where I make my picks. That's where I share little snippets of this show, preview guests, all that kind of stuff. So make sure you're following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. A lot of good stuff going up there. I actually have an intern this fall, so shout out to Zach, who's been doing an incredible job keeping me up to date on that. And finally, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We do have a few hoops questions kind of sitting in the mailbag. I'll probably hold off on those for a little while. Just listen, two, three weeks. Basketball is going to get here before we know it, and and um, you know we're now under two months until the season actually starts with the Champions Classic, Kansas and Duke, Michigan State and Kentucky. So we're not that far away, people. So be patient. Probably over the next few weeks, as teams start practicing, uh, we start getting reports, all that kind of stuff. The media days, we will get more into basketball. As I said, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is the place to send me those questions because I'll be honest, I got a lot of basketball questions sitting around and we will get into them in a little bit. All right, so I want to start with what was probably the biggest story of the day on Saturday. Uh, I guess it is. I, 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 I Listen, I think it is and it's my show, so we're going to do it. And it's LSU. The LSU Tigers go to Texas and they win 45-38. to if you didn't watch this game, it was a great game, back and forth. First off, I'll say this. I actually give Texas a lot of credit in this game. 
If you guys listen to this show, you know that I've been a little critical of Texas coming into the season. I actually thought they would keep it close. I picked them to cover the points. Uh, I had a good, another good day. I'm 10-5-1 overall on my picks. I did miss on that one. I will tell you about a wild game uh, later in the show as it pertains to that. But um, first, let's give credit to Texas. I thought they were very competitive. As I referenced a minute ago, Jacob Hester, who was on this show, former LSU Tiger, he does the LSU pre and post game for the school. And he even said, he said, look, they're a little beat up. They're down to one healthy scholarship running back. They have a lot of questions on defense. And so when I heard all that, I actually thought it could get out of hand. And while LSU won, and while it was never really, like there was never really a moment in the second half where you kind of felt like, eh, LSU could be in trouble, they were able to score when they needed to. That's not to say that Texas didn't play really well. Sam Ellinger, I thought, showed out really, really, really well, especially considering that you knew that when they were running the ball that he was basically the only one that was going to run the ball. He finished 31 of 47, 400 yards, four touchdowns. He also rushed for 60 yards. And, and again, I, I do give him a little bit of credit. If you watch this game, and I know a lot of you did, the bottom line was every time Texas ran the ball, you knew it was going to Sam Ellinger between the tackles. And it, it couldn't have been easy. I know he took a beating. Because, again, when you're watching this game, there was a couple possessions early in the game where Texas had a chance on the goal line, and it was so clear that they they didn't trust any of their other running backs, they didn't trust their O-line, and they're just trying to jam Sam Ellinger in there, um, and they didn't really have much success. But I thought it was kind of a, and I know this is cliche, forgive me, it was a gutty effort by him, I know it's Cordy, I know, forgive me. Uh, but I thought he actually played really well. I thought it was uh, a good performance by him even in a loss. And you look at Texas, I'll be honest. Look, I, I don't think that they're on Oklahoma's level right now. But you look at everybody else in the Big 12, there's a lot of winnable games in that league, whether it is Texas Tech, whether it is TCU, we'll find out. Kansas, of course, lost to Coastal Carolina yesterday. West Virginia got boat raced by Missouri. That was one of my picks that came out good. So look, I think Texas is about a 9-3-ish type team this season, but they lost this game. I do give them credit. I thought they played well, but the real story to me was the LSU Tigers. And again, as I said off the top, it's not that they won the game. LSU has won big games before. Heck, they've won big games under Ed Orgeron over the last two and a half seasons since he took over as head coach, where the thing that jumped out to me was how they won this game. LSU, you guys all follow college football. You wouldn't listen to this podcast if you didn't. What do we know about LSU basically since the beginning of time? Is that they don't really like to pass the ball. And they're not really explosive offensively. The one year that they had an actual offensive, uh, uh, you know, uh, explosive offense, ironically, on a, a opening day NFL Sunday where the Browns were terrible, there was that one year where LSU had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the same team, and they were actually pretty decent. But other than that, they don't pass the ball. They've never passed the ball. Les Miles, I mean, Mr. Big Ten, he came from Michigan, three yards in a cloud of dust. Well, he played at Michigan. He didn't come from Michigan. He came from Oklahoma State. But you get the point. And so this has been a program that forever has been defined by the fact that they don't really have an explosive offense. And as we've evolved in college football, as we've gotten to a point in 2019 where everybody is running some version of the spread – Everybody is running some version of RPO's run-pass option. You got to be versatile. You got to play at tempo. 
LSU was one of the dinosaurs that was still trying to just line up in a phone booth and just beat your brains in. And it didn't work. It worked to a degree, but when they played those elite teams, they couldn't keep up. We've seen so many teams over the last five, six, seven, ten years make this transition. Of course, Alabama made this transition a couple years ago when they brought in Lane Kiffin as their offensive coordinator. Say what you want about Lane Kiffin as an offensive coordinator. He was really, really, really good at Alabama. They won a national championship because of the way that he moved forward their offense. And so when we're talking about LSU and as it pertains to the game on Saturday night against Texas, that's the incredible part is that they look like a completely different team. They didn't look like any LSU team I've ever seen. Joe Burrow, who all of a sudden we're going to have to talk about as a potential Heisman candidate down the road. And I, By the way, if you're new to the show, I don't do Heisman talk in September. Let's just get that out there right now. Um, there's nothing more annoying to me than Heisman talk in November in, in September. Basically, the Heisman has decided over the last two, three, four weeks, except for the rare year where you have a Johnny Manziel type uh, that's just so much better than everybody else. But, I mean, even look at last year. Tua had that award wrapped up for 11 or 12 weeks. You get to the SEC championship game. He's a little banged up by that point. He goes out. Kyler Murray is phenomenal. He ends up winning that award going away. So we're not going to do the Heisman thing. But Joe Burrow is going to be a guy that if he plays like he did last night on Saturday night, he is going to be in the conversation. Finished 31-39, 471 yards passing 471 yards from the LSU quarterback that's insane if I'm being dramatic forgive me but that's insane I thought I'd see Nick Saban freaking I don't know cry at a press conference or something before I thought I'd see an LSU quarterback throw for almost 500 yards on the road against a legitimate team and so when I look at LSU what I see now is that high octane passing attack again almost 500 yards passing from Joe Burrow, 12 yards per attempt. They ran the ball successfully. And you take the defense that they've always had, you take this offense that they have with Joe Burrow, and you're talking about a team, I think they match up with anybody. If they can go on the road to Texas and put up 45 points against a team that is well-coached, that has guys, that has dudes. Yes, Texas. I'm not saying Texas is Bama. I'm not saying Texas is Ohio State or Oklahoma. But what I, Texas is a legit top 15 team in the country. And they went on the road, and the game was never in question. But more importantly, stylistically, they played Texas's style and were better than them at that. A lot of passing, a lot of deep balls, a lot of tempo, a lot of moving the chains really quickly. And you look at this LSU team. You take the offense that they have now with the defense that they've had historically, there's not many teams that could beat them. Now look, there's still Bama in the division. We'll get to Bama in a second. But you look at LSU's schedule, first of all, very manageable for LSU. Most years, LSU's got a brutal schedule because they have the cross-division game with Florida. They always have the SEC West. But this year, it's actually manageable. So they play Alabama on November 9th, I want to say. You know who they play on the road between now and then? They play at Vandy. They play at Mississippi State. Now, Mississippi State could be tough. But all things considered, they get Florida at home. They get A&M at home. That's actually later in the year, but they get A&M at home. They get Auburn at home. And so I look at LSU. I don't even think it, well, you never say never. 
I don't think it's a debate. I think they're going to be undefeated going into that Bama game on November 9th. And so you look at that this team with the way that they're playing. And yes, I think they're now in the national championship conversation. And they're playing Bama down the road, and I get it. You can't have the LSU conversation without saying, well, they play in the same division as Bama. But I will say this. I'm not picking them here on November or September 9th to beat Bama two months down the road. That's not what I'm doing. What I am saying, though, is this. Alabama has its own question marks. Tua, down the stretch last year, struggled with injuries. Their offensive line has not been great, did not play well against Duke. Their defense lost their best player, Dylan Moses, in the preseason. You wonder if that has an impact on them. And I bring all this up just to say that maybe, just maybe, they have a chance against Bama. I would add this too. Coach O has actually been pretty good against Alabama since he took over. Now, last year they lost 29 to nothing, but his first season they lost 10 nothing. Second season, 24 to 10. So it's not as though they've just gotten blown out and it's been embarrassing. Look, they're not, <laughs> I hate to do it, they're not Tennessee. They're not Ole Miss. They're not Arkansas. They've been competitive with Alabama. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. So maybe this is the year they beat Alabama because they are more versatile on offense. I would also say this let's never forget that the last two years we've learned that you don't necessarily have to win the SEC to make the college football playoff. Remember, two years ago, when Alabama beat Georgia for the national championship, Alabama didn't win the SEC title. They actually didn't even win the SEC East that year. Well, SEC West, excuse me. They lost to Auburn. Auburn beats them. Auburn goes to the SEC championship game. They lose to Georgia. And then Alabama makes the playoff, gets in backdoor way into the playoff. Last year, Georgia... Everyone's favorite, uh, almost, they, they tried so hard, they were the little engine that could, they lost to Bama, maybe they, they ended up fifth in the college football playoff poll. And so it's too early to speculate, but when you start looking at the rest of the leagues, I don't buy that, maybe Ohio State in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, again, does not look like it has a contender, Oregon already has a loss, Washington already has a loss, I did pick Utah, Utah has not looked great early, so I'm just saying, I don't think it's inconceivable that even if LSU doesn't beat Bama, they can be in the playoff conversation, obviously, if they did. But I just think it's a great day to be an LSU Tiger. Hold that, Tiger, because they finally have an offense to go with that defense. They have a very manageable schedule. Auburn, Florida, A&M, all at home. And I think this is a team that you now have to watch out for going forward. When we're starting to talk about national championship, we're starting to talk about playoff push. Yes, Bama's going to be there. Yes, Clemson, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is going to be there. Yes, Ohio State's going to be in the mix, and Oklahoma's going to be in the mix, and maybe Georgia's going to be in the mix, but I think LSU's going to be there too. By the way, how wild it would be if LSU finished with one loss, Georgia and Alabama get to the SEC championship game undefeated, and the loser has one loss, and you got two SEC teams with one loss and an undefeated champion, it could happen this year because Georgia doesn't play Alabama or LSU. All right, so let's move on to the other big game in college football on Saturday, this one in the afternoon. This one, Clemson versus Texas A&M. And I'll just be perfectly honest with you guys. First, well, I don't have to be perfectly honest. Clemson dominated. I, I, I know, I, I love how I really set that up as though it was this big sweeping grand, I can't believe he went there, and then I just said the obvious. 
Clemson absolutely kicked the crap out of Texas A&M. Now, I'll be honest, my score prediction was about right. I think I said 27-16 was my prediction. Clemson ended up winning 24-10. But if you watch this game, you know that it wasn't really competitive. Texas A&M's best chance really came the third drive of the game. They drove the length of the field, 16 plays. They're stuffing it down Clemson's throat. They had to settle for a field goal. Clemson comes back, touchdown next series, and the game was never competitive after that. Texas A&M actually scores with six seconds left to make the game look more competitive than it was. By the way, if you had Texas A&M in the points, congratulations. If you had Clemson in the points, it's a tough beat, man. By the way, if you had just listened to me, your boy AT, I told you take the under, you wouldn't have even been sweating. You would have cashed that ticket. You'd be sitting in a pile of money, but that's neither here nor there. Tough beat for the Clemson backers, great win for the A&M backers, but let's talk about the game itself. Because when I look at this game, I see a Clemson team that I thought was going to take a step back. I was completely wrong on Clemson. Now look, I had them in the playoff. I had them in the top four. I I would probably would have voted them preseason number one or number two if I was in the, if I was an AP voter. But I did think that the defense specifically would struggle with all the guys that they lost. If you don't remember, I've said this stat before. But they had three first-round guys, three guys off last year's defense taken in the first round. Clellan Farrell to the Raiders. What a weekend it was for the Raiders, by the way. Woo! Dexter Lawrence to, to the um, to the Giants. And then the third guy, I'm blanking on his name, Christian Wilkins. I can't remember where he ended up. But three first, I want to say the Packers maybe, three first-round picks off the Clemson team. Six of their starters made opening day NFL rosters. So it was a veteran defense last year, an experienced defense last year. And I thought that defense, at the very least, would take a little step back. And your boy AT was wrong. Listen, sometimes when you're wrong, you got to own it. And that Clemson defense was phenomenal. And so when I look back on this weekend, my first thought is Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson, he's like the second or third highest paid coordinator in college football. I think that guy's underpaid. That was my first takeaway. It's like, get cut that guy a check. Double his salary. Dabo just got $92 million guaranteed. So it's not like they don't got money over there at Clemson. Double Brent Venable's salary because that was unbelievable. If you watch the game, and I and I apologize if I say if you watch the game, but I'm just trying to set you guys up here. Clemson, their defense was phenomenal. After that first drive that I mentioned, it was the third drive of the game. AM has to settle for a field goal. AM just had no idea what was going on when they were on offense. Clemson's blitzing from all over and they're coming from different angles. And uh, every time Kellen Mond dropped back, he had pressure. And so I just look at what Brent Venables did, and I say to myself, whatever you're paying that guy, just pay him more, because he was he is unbelievable, especially with everything that they lost. I will say, the Clemson offense, not quite as crisp as we all thought it would be. Trevor Lawrence, a solid night, but not spectacular, one touchdown, one interception, but when you watch him, I mean, he still has those plays where... There was two or three. There was one where he was running to the sideline, throws across his body, corner, uh, you know, right towards the end zone for a touchdown. There was one play where he's getting, you know, pressure up the middle. He throws it right over the middle into double coverage. It goes right to his wide receiver. So Clemson, I think, offensively is going to be fine. They are going to figure it out. But to me, the story of the game was the defense. But it was also this. 
I actually think the first college football playoff spot was clinched yesterday. Because when I look at Clemson, we're so critical of, oh, Alabama doesn't play anybody. Well, actually, they play at Auburn. They play at A&M. They play LSU at home. Like, they don't have an easy schedule. Next year, they play Georgia in a cross-rivalry, in a cross-division game. But Clemson? Like, Clemson really doesn't play anybody. Blame the ACC. ACC only had two teams in the top 25 to start the year. One was Clemson. Two was Syracuse, who absolutely got boat raced on Saturday by Maryland. And so that's my big picture takeaway from this game. I think Clemson just picked, uh, just, just clinched a college football playoff spot yesterday. Because when I look at Clemson, I'm sitting there saying, the two teams on their schedule that were supposed to give them so many problems, they just crushed A&M. Syracuse obviously has a lot of work to do. Now, Clemson does play at Syracuse this weekend. It is in the Dome. It is going to be a night game. It is that big ABC game. So there's at least the possibility that the crowd is fired up and that uh, they, they give Clemson all sorts of problems. I don't know, though. I don't know. I don't see, when I look at Clemson, I don't see a loss on this team's schedule. Like, you think Mac Brown in North Carolina is going to beat him? You think NC State, shout out to NC State, but like NC State never wins those kind of games. They're always close. They never win. I don't know where the loss is for Clemson. I'd also say this. I don't know if it's good for college football that they're not even competitive, that there's nobody that can step up and compete with them. Listen, down the, I know in years past it's been Louisville or it's been Florida State. But somebody in the ACC has got to step up. I don't think it's good for college football that Clemson is basically using the ACC as a preseason to the regular season, which is the playoff for them. In other words, the, 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 the regular season is just the preseason for them. It's to work out the kinks. It's to figure things out. It's to beat the crap out of everybody. I don't think it's good. I hope the ACC gets somebody better, gets Florida State back, although it's not looking good after they barely beat Louisiana Monroe. Maybe it's North Carolina State. Maybe it's UNC. Maybe it's Louisville under Scott Satterfield. Maybe it's Syracuse. And by the way, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Syracuse wins this weekend. But when I'm looking at Clemson right now, I don't see a competitor on the schedule. I think they've already clinched a playoff spot. Real quick on AM. I will say, I actually think it was a solid effort for AM. It wasn't close. It wasn't competitive. But there were positive signs. The defense looked really good, and they're tough, too. And the defense, shout out to Mike Elko, their defensive coordinator, another guy who's really well paid. Clemson hasn't given up more than, or Texas A&M, since he took over, he's now coached, what, 15 games, uh, 12 last year, plus a bowl game is 13, and then two games this year. He's only given up more than 28 points once, and that was at Bama last year. The defense, I thought, looked really good. I didn't think they were scared. I thought they handled Trevor Lawrence and Clemson about as well as anybody will this year. Offensively, I hate to say it, AM. If there's AM fans listening, I know there's a couple that do. I hate to say it, but here's the bottom line. I, it's not going to happen under Kellen Mond. The run game is there. The O-line is there. I just don't think Kellen Mond can make enough plays with his arm to be a difference maker. And so I don't know if it's going to happen in the next year and a half while he's your quarterback, but I know Jimbo got a big commitment this offseason for a kid uh, coming up here in this next recruiting class. And I do wonder if down the road when Jimbo Fisher kind of finds a more traditional quarterback that suits him a little bigger, a little physical, more strong, uh, Jameis Winston type, Christian Ponder type. Shout out to Christian Ponder. I don't know what that guy's doing right now. I think it gets better for a and 
I just think Kellen Mond's the weak link right now. I hate to say it, but you look at that kid, and that is a kid that he just can't make the plays, and that was my concern, and that's what I said in my preview. That's what I wrote on Aaron Torres online. If you missed it, go there every Wednesday. I post, post my college football picks. I just don't think Kellen Mond is that guy. I don't think he can make the play. So A&M, it's coming along. I was really impressed by the defense. I was really impressed by the O-line, the run game. But eventually, you got to have Kellen Mond. you got to have a quarterback that can make plays with his arm. And Kellen Mond can't do that, unfortunately. And I think it is hurting A&M because of it. We'll be curious to see how they move forward as they get set for a brutal SEC schedule. Bama at home at LSU, at Georgia to close the season. A couple more thoughts. I do want to talk about Michigan. Your Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, I'm talking to you, your Michigan Wolverines. I feel bad for Michigan. I'm breathing. I'm sighing into the, the, the microphone for extra effect. I do feel bad. Listen, this isn't an anti-Harbaugh. I, I like Harbaugh. I think it's good for Michigan. I think it's good for college football. Michigan's good. I'd like Michigan to be a little bit more competitive with Ohio State. I tweeted this out on Saturday. It's true. When I was a kid, mid to late 90s, there were four teams that every single year, every single year, were top five, no doubt about it, in the national championship conversation. Tennessee, terrible. Nebraska, not very good. Florida State, terrible. And Michigan. And so I'm not here to crush Jim Harbaugh because Michigan is in much better shape than any of those other programs and anyone else in the Big Ten other than Ohio State. Say what you want about Jim Harbaugh. He's won 10 games or more in three or four seasons, and it's this really weird deal in Michigan right now, right? Because people are like, oh, he's on the hot seat. He needs to be fired. Well, who are you going to get that's better than Jim Harbaugh? I know you hate losing Ohio State, but we've seen the alternative. We've seen what life is like without Jim Harbaugh. And I'll take Jim Harbaugh over Richrod. I'll take Jim Harbaugh over Brady Hoke. I'll take 10 wins over 5-7 and seven like they were the year before he got there. So enough with the, like, Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat. No, he's not. They're not going to fire him. Now, they want him to beat Ohio State eventually. If he loses again this year, goes 0-5, it's not going to be pretty. But let's pump the brakes on the Jim Harbaugh stuff. And But... In that same vein, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. I don't think they're a college football playoff contender. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they nearly lost to Army on Saturday. There were elements that came out in that game that prove it. It's not because they almost lost to Army. It's not because it went into double overtime and they easily could have lost that game. Because first of all, I told you on Thursday's show, I said stay away from this game because the triple option teams are impossible to prepare for. There's, it's just, it's, it's misery. It's misery trying to prepare. And it's week two. You don't have all offseason to prepare for them. You come in, your defense gets gassed. And basically the way that the game played out is kind of what I told you it would be. Army controlled time of possession. Army had the ball. Army was able to keep their offense on the field. They go for fourth down a lot. It's exhausting playing them. So it has nothing to do with the fact that Michigan almost lost to Army. It took to double overtime. But what happened in the game is what concerned me. And Michigan is kind of almost the exact opposite of LSU in the sense that LSU has decided they're, they're all in on this spread offense. And in LSU, it's working. Michigan, same deal this offseason. 
if you remember last year against Ohio State, they got crushed by Ohio State. But more than getting crushed by Ohio State was that they fell down by a bunch of points and they weren't in a position to come back against that style of play. And so that's been Harbaugh's problem. He can beat Rutgers and Minnesota and Purdue and Northwestern 24 to 10, 17 to 10, 17 to 3. But when he plays these other teams, these elite teams, he struggles because you can't play that way against Ohio State and against uh, whoever, Michigan State when they're good and against Florida last year in the bowl game and they lost to Florida State a few years ago in a bowl game. You can't do it. And so he decided this year, he made the commitment like at Orgeron, we're going to the spread offense. And he hired the guy Josh Gaddis from Alabama. Josh Gaddis was an assistant in Alabama. He wasn't the offensive coordinator. He wanted to call plays. Jim Harbaugh literally called him, no interview, offered him the job over the phone, sight unseen. But unlike LSU, it's not really working out. And I don't think it's going to get better. Against Army, Michigan had three turnovers. On the season, they have five turnovers, which ranks them like 80th in the country. It's just a mess right now. And it's one thing to say, oh, we're committed to the spread. and we're gonna... It's another thing when things are going bad, when you're trying to figure things out on the fly. I don't think it's going to work for Michigan. And that was kind of the scary thing if you were watching that Michigan game, was that the thing the, they don't do the new thing well but now they no longer can do the old thing. Against Army, and I, I keep trying to say if you were wa- if you watch the game, because I know I say it a lot, but if you watch the game, against Army, there was a bunch of times. It's third and one, fourth and one, and they're lining up in the shotgun. And the one thing you could always say about Michigan under Harbaugh, they needed that one tough yard. They would line up and get that yard. But now... Now they're lined up in the shotgun and they're motioning. It's a mess. And so that's my concern with Michigan. Not that Harbaugh is terrible. Not that he's a bad person. Not that he, he's going to go 2-10. and 10, Not that he's on the hot seat. Not that he's – but he installed this offense because he felt like he had to modernize it, but it's not who he is. And no longer do they do the things that they used to do well, but they don't do the new things well either. And so when I look at Michigan in the big picture, I'm starting to wonder – What is the ceiling of this team? Because they have a bye this week, but they go to Wisconsin a week from now. I don't think they beat Wisconsin the way that they're playing. Michigan State has the best defense in college football right now, one of the two or three best defenses. I don't think they're beating them. I don't think they're beating Ohio State the way they're playing. I don't know if they're beating Penn State the way that they're playing. And so this is the story with Michigan to watch out for. Not that Harbaugh's terrible. Not that they suck. Not that he needs to be fired. Not that they almost lost to Army because I told you they could potentially lose to Army. It's that this offense, they don't seem comfortable in it. They don't seem to believe it. They don't seem to buy into it. And they're not very good at it. And I think it's going to cost them down the road because I just don't think that they can execute this offense at a high enough level to beat the teams that they're going to have to beat. And I know teams get better, but they've had all spring to work on it. They've had all summer to work on it. They've had all fall. They had 30 practices in fall to work on it. And they're not any better. And so because of that, I'm worried for Michigan. I'm worried for Jim Harbaugh. That looked like an 8-4 team to me yesterday. It didn't look like an 11-1 Big Ten champ college football playoff team. And we all know 
That is the expectation at Michigan right now under Harbaugh, the very least to beat Ohio State. They ain't beating Ohio State the way they're playing. Last couple notes from Saturday's games. Uh, I guess we should talk about Tennessee. I've been trying to avoid it. I've been trying not to talk about it. I've been trying not to think about it. I've been trying not to depress my good friends at the University of Tennessee, but it's time. University of Tennessee, I just feel so awful for this program. So for people who didn't see the game, Tennessee really actually played pretty well. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't without flaw. But they weren't terrible. And considering what happened against Georgia State, that's a major step up in the right direction. They weren't terrible. They had a pretty comfortable lead at halftime. 13 to 3. Yeah, I hesitated there. I was waiting for that to load. I hope you don't think that your your phone broke. 13 to 3. They were up 13 to 3 at halftime. They were up 16 to 13 with a minute to go. That's what you need to know. BYU battles back, but Tennessee still has the lead with a minute to go. And so what happens? They get a stop on first down. And they get a stop on second down. And BYU now has third and 20. Keep in mind the score 16-13. And BYU is on the other side of the field. BYU is doing everything that they can to get to that end zone. And they are... We all saw it. I'm not BYU's on the other end of the field. They throw a deep bomb. Tennessee misses a tackle. And next thing you know... BYU's in field goal range. They kick a field goal. They end up winning in, what, triple overtime, double overtime? I don't even It doesn't matter. The point is, I just feel bad for Tennessee. And by the way, last week I said I feel bad for Tennessee. People got mad. A couple Kentucky fans, a couple other. Eh, I don't feel bad for Tennessee. Uh, what kind of show is this? You feel bad for Tennessee. Well, listen, I'm sorry I don't have the exact same emotion as you, okay? I'm sorry I have different opinions than you. But, and there was a couple of you, and you know who you are. I want you to go sit in the corner and think about what you did. I'm kidding, people. I'm kidding. But I do feel bad for Tennessee. I mean, this is a program that, as I discussed last week, national championship in 98. First BCS national championship game was Tennessee-Florida State. How far have those two teams fallen, by the way? They also almost played for national championship in 2001. Then the program dipped, Phil former leaves, and the rest is history, which I already talked about. But what is so, what's such a bummer is, it's just one thing if you're just not good, right? Like, there are programs that just aren't very good. I mentioned Oregon State last week. How about Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt's just not very good. Never been good. I don't know if they ever will be good. They were good for those couple years under James Franklin. But, like, Vanderbilt this year has lost 30-6 to to Georgia and 42-24 to to Purdue on Saturday. And so if you're a Vandy fan, you're just like, yeah, we kind of freaking suck. Like, whatever. Huh. I hate, like, like I wish we were better, but at least I know we suck. At least on September 9th, I can just be like, okay, we suck. We'll probably win four games. But Tennessee fans, it's, it's one thing to suck. It's another thing for a Tennessee fan, you control the game. I don't want to say dominate the game, but you control the game against a good BYU team. You got two plays to win the game. And two plays, and when I say two plays, I don't mean you need two goal line stops on the one-yard line. It's like literally two don't give up an 80-yard play. 
and they somehow did. And when I look at this Tennessee team, it's incredible to me, and I might have talked about it last week, but the losing is so ingrained at Tennessee. Is It's one thing if you have bad, like I said with Vandy, it's one thing if you have bad players. It's one thing if your coaching stinks, and I know Tennessee fans will say that their coaching stinks with Jeremy Pruitt. It's another thing when everybody goes into a weekend waiting for the worst to happen, players, coaches who will never admit it, and certainly fans, and then the worst not only happens, but something worse than the worst actually happens. And that's where Tennessee is at right now. And I don't know what the fix is, but I do feel bad. I will tell you this. Behind the scenes, there was a little bit of optimism with this program. I have a couple of buddies who do radio down there, was talking to one of them in the preseason. And he said to me, he's like, look, we're not being Florida. We're not being Georgia. We're not being Bama. But if things go right, we could go 8-4. and four. If we beat the teams we're capable of beating, we can go 8-4. and four. Now, now, <laughs> have you seen Tennessee's schedule? They play UT Chattanooga next week. Here are their next four games after UT Chattanooga. At Florida, Georgia at home, Mississippi State at home, at Alabama. And so Tennessee is very realistically looking at a 1-6 start to the season. Maybe some kind of miracle happens and they beat Mississippi State, who I don't think is very good, but I don't expect that to happen. And so a team that I think a lot of people said, I, I told you, my buddies, and the, the guy that I talked to, he's not a homer. He's a realist. He, w- he would tell me if the team sucked. But he's like, dude, I think if things go right, we can go 8-4. and four. He's like, but I think we'll get to 7-5. I think we'll get to 6-6 six and six and go to a bowl game. You're looking at 1-6 and six to start the year, and you got to beat Tennessee Chattanooga. And then, oh, by the way, after that, it's not like the schedule gets any easier after that. You still got to play South Carolina. You still got to go to Kentucky. You still got to go to Missouri, which is a pretty good team. By the way, UAB, who is also on the schedule, played Auburn really tough the other night. So I just feel bad for Tennessee. And I know nobody listening to this show, unless you're a Tennessee fan, wants to hear it. But I do. Like, I feel bad for Tennessee. No program. It, again, just to recap, big picture with Tennessee. It's one thing to just be terrible historically, to be terrible now. It's another thing to be in every single game you play and find a new and more depressing way to lose it. All right, a couple more notes that I kind of have from the weekend. Um, One, I would say, I kind of just mentioned this team. Really big bummer out of the SEC. University of Kentucky, who actually looked pretty good in their opener against Toledo, um, looked pretty good against Eastern Michigan in their second game. And before anyone gets after me, oh, it's only Toledo. It's only Eastern Michigan. Well, you know what? Ole Miss lost to Memphis. And South Carolina lost to North Carolina. And Tennessee lost to Georgia State. So don't give me the whole, oh, who cares? They haven't played anybody. Well, a lot of teams haven't played anybody at this point in the year. They looked really good. They were playing really good. And unfortunately, their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson, is out for the season. And so it's obviously incredibly disappointing. What's really disappointing, honestly, is this kid actually was looking a lot better. I wrote about this a little bit at Kentucky Sports Radio last week, but um, this was a guy that very much was about, uh, you know, kind of taking off taking off and running the ball. He actually threw the ball really, really well in Kentucky's first game of the season against Toledo. 
He looked pretty sharp in the second game before he went down to injury. Kentucky has some nice wide receivers. They got a nice tight end, Keaton Upshaw. And so I actually thought that Kentucky looked a little bit better over these first couple weeks than maybe um, than maybe any of us were expecting. But he goes down. Now it falls on a kid named Sawyer Smith, who was at Troy before he ended up at Kentucky. I'd be lying if I said I know what to expect from him. It's a bummer. Kentucky has Florida, who, of course, uh, last year Kentucky knocked off a uh, knocked off Florida to end a 30-plus year losing streak to Florida. So a quick shout-out to Terry Wilson. Hope he's doing well. Uh, I thought he was looking really, really good early, and I hope for a speedy recovery for him. Real quick, I don't mean to get on my soapbox on something sort of related, but Kentucky's backup quarterback, Gunnar Hoke, lost the starting quarterback job and immediately transferred to Ohio State where he then lost the starting quarterback job to Justin Fields. I don't want to be the guy that kids shouldn't transfer, and like that's not my spiel. There's always a time and a place, and there's a lot of people that end up transferring. Chris Mack, who I've had on this show, was a transfer basketball player. He's talked about the fact that it worked out well for him to transfer. John Calipari transferred during his college career. I believe Jimbo Fisher transferred. So there's there's always a reason to transfer. It's, I'm not, it's not a be-all, end-all. But for this kid to go to Ohio State where he wasn't going to win the job, it's like now, one and a half games into the season, he'd be the starting quarterback going forward. So I would warn whether it's a a young kid listening, whether it's a parent of a kid, don't always take the easiest way out. Don't always leave when you lose the starting quarterback job because there's going to be situations. There's going to be opportunities. Um, And I, I wonder if that kid second guesses his decision to leave. He's now sitting at Ohio State being a backup when he could be the starter at Kentucky. Uh, a couple more notes, and we'll wrap up here. Week two, a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys listening. This is, of course, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. Um, I'll say this. Arkansas is terrible. Everyone wants to focus on Tennessee, and I get it. Two crippling losses. Arkansas is abysmal. And I tried to tell you guys last week, those were two of the five picks that I got right. I had Arkansas, I had Ole Miss covering a seven-point spread, and the under, which I got at 55.5, it was bet down to 50.5, final score 31-17. And I'm just telling you right now, Arkansas, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, everyone thinks Tennessee is terrible, Tennessee's not good. Arkansas might be the worst Power 5 program that I've seen this year. Worse than Vandy, worse than Oregon State. They're really bad. And I don't know what the answer is. Chad Morris is a guy that I thought he would figure it out. He's had success at the high school level. He had success as a coordinator at Clemson. He had success as a head coach at SMU. But it just doesn't seem to be clicking with Arkansas. They finished the game against Ole Miss. And I I do think Ole Miss defense is probably a little bit better than people realize. But uh, they really didn't do very much. Uh, there are two scoring drives. One came in the third quarter. Uh, where are their touchdowns? Yeah, one was the third quarter was a defensive touchdown. Their their second touchdown came with 121 left. I knew there was a defensive touchdown, just didn't know where it was. Defensive touchdown, and then a touchdown with one minute left. And so Arkansas is just terrible. And I don't think that, that it's going to get any better, and I cannot believe that they look as bad as they do in year two under Chad Morris. I feel bad. We got a lot of Arkansas fans that listen to this show. Shout out to the Hogs. Uh, Last thought. 
Shout out to USC, who unbelievably, I don't know how they, they look so good. Their starting quarterback gets hurt. True freshman comes in. They dominate Stanford. Good win for them. And then finally, how about the Maryland Terps? Go Terps. Go Turtles. Dominate Syracuse. They won 79 nothing in their opener. Maryland, the University of Maryland, is now the highest scoring team in all of college football. I would also say, in that division, I think Ohio State's the best team. But I think Maryland can play with Penn State, can play with Michigan, can even play with Michigan State. So that's all for today's show. I uh, ran out of steam here at the end. It was a long one. It's, it's hot out here in California, too. So I'm, I'm dealing with the elements. You know, I'm like a football player on a steamy field, dealing with the elements. I will be back later in the week to preview week three. But I want to thank you guys for listening. Please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. Podcast Addict, if you have an Android, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, uh, Spotify, uh, you can put your your um, you can put a, a tin can against the 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 wall and you can listen that whatever way you want to listen, you do that, okay? Make sure to rate and review. Give me a quick five stars, like Casey Matthews did, who said, "If you aren't listening to this podcast, do you even like sports?" Casey Matthews brings up a good point, so make sure to rate and review the show. Follow on Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, 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 if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. We'll be back later this week. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.